Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? We are in part three of series number 25. This is episode number 142. We're talking about uh, emotional intelligence. It's a really fun topic. It relates not only to technology sales, which you and I have been doing for a long time. It just has huge life implications as well. And it's a fun uh, psychology uh, discussion uh, as well. So it's been uh, been a good discussion. I really enjoyed it. Um, in the first episode, we just really kind of defined it and put a framework around uh, what it is from stuff that we'd Read from books, Emotional Intelligence 2.0 is a great one we've read. It turns out there are three books named Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Who knew that there'd be three books? That doesn't seem legal, does it? doesn't seem legal. Uh, so we've got it linked in the show notes to the uh, to the one we think is the best of the three, although I didn't read the other two, but I've the one that we read is kind of the highest rated of the, of the three and it's, it's really good. Uh, we've got a number of notes from the Harvard Business Review, which if you're not subscribed to that, that's a great, that's one of the only newsletters I allowed to come to my inbox. Uh, it's very good. Just a topic that we're both pretty passionate about. Um, if this is your first uh, episode to listen to in this series, in a nutshell, your, your EQ is your emotional quotient, which is basically a numerical representation of your emotional intelligence. So it's basically your ability to identify understand emotions in yourself, emotions in other people, and then use this awareness to manage how you respond to situations and how you respond to other people. Um, it's basically your your ability to manage really challenging situations, and it has huge implications in the business world. Um, they're all kind of stats between 70 and 90% of your career. It has far less to do with your aptitude, while that's certainly a big part of the equation, it has a whole lot more to do with your ability to handle really challenging uh, situations. Yeah, it's one of those things we talked about, I believe, in both episodes one and two, that uh, you, you know, 90% of successful high, high performers have high EQs, and only 20% of low performers have high EQs. And so it clearly maps to how well you're going to do in your career, your job, your role, your family, your life. No question, and uh, it's one that we can actually work on and make better. So throughout the things we talk about this week and next, and we have the previous two weeks, there, there are skills that, that in with this you can make your EQ score go way up um, where you can't do that with IQ and other things. Um, you might have some aptitude to learn certain skills or, or technologies, but this is one that we can actually move the needle on through practice and uh, trying some of the tips we're going to talk about this week. Indeed. So uh, on this episode, we're going to talk about uh, several ways to become more self-aware and ways to become more socially aware. Uh, the socially aware is not a reflection of like a, a politically social. It's just being able to pick up on the mood in the room and to care about what other people are going through. This is really more that what more about what that aligns to. Um, Okay, so to set up self-awareness, that's the most common kind of category. When people think about emotional intelligence, they think about self-awareness as kind of the headline underneath that. But that's really just one of four measurements. Um, but to set it up, you, you can't be a good leader without self-awareness. So you'll see very senior leaders, CEO of companies doing 360-degree reviews so that they understand how the people that work for them and the, and the culture of the organization 
uh, is reflected in how they manage and they they act they act on this feedback feedback at least good leaders act on that kind of feedback so maybe we should define what a good leader is because I think last week we talked about some of those things that make you make you good and being making your number is what we all strive for no question but is is that really is that the only metric that makes you good I think you could be a you could make good numbers and destroy a team and lose your team and be constantly rebuilding your team. And that wouldn't be a good thing. So what, what, what defines a good leader, Brian, what do you think a good leader is? Um, being authentic, open, uh, being trustworthy. Um, I think what, what people want is to understand the path. Like they want to have a purpose in, in the kind of work that they're doing. No question. And, so I, I, I would say when we say good leader, it's not just about making your numbers or driving mm-hmm. the team towards results. It's building a team. It's getting the team bought in and having that team follow you. And if you if, if people are upset and down and you don't recognize it, that's what the self-awareness is that we're going to talk about today, that those sorts of things make a good leader. And while people, while there's not necessarily a direct correlation between high, high IQ and high EQ, if your desire is to lead a team with high IQ people, you better have good EQ because while they not may not be able to identify um, why they don't like working for you, they won't like working for you. No doubt, they'll certainly be able to to you know they won't be able to define it and say explain it all if they don't have a high EQ, but they'll definitely be smart enough to say this guy's a jerk and uh, he's he's full of himself and he can't sense the mood in the room like they'll. They'll understand those things, and they, they, you know, those people aren't good leaders. They, they, they will struggle to lead successful organizations. And so it is, explains, yeah. Sorry, this is the point where people don't leave companies; they leave managers. Yeah. And if anything else, they will be able to say, "This ain't fun," and I don't want to keep doing this if this ain't that fun. Yeah, it, exp- it explains success and it explains failure, uh, oftentimes. So, Bobby, let's talk on this episode about uh, four ways to become more self-aware, and then we'll talk about four ways to become more socially aware. Uh, the first is to write down your key plans and priorities. So one of the best ways to increase your self-awareness is write down what you want to do and then track your progress against those things. And we've talked about this in numerous episodes about um, whether it's tactically and using tools like to-do lists or Todoist or Trello. It's being very deliberate and smart and thoughtful about why you're investing uh, an amount of time in one place versus another. Uh, in in old days, uh, and there's a lot of great auto or biographies um, that people would journal themselves and, and write down everything they used they would accomplish, everything that happened in a certain day, and it was meant for them as a kind of a reflection of how am I investing my time. It was a way for them to to look back at the day or look back at the week or look back in the month and say, is this really where I want to spend my time? Yeah. I think that uh, many of us, including myself, I get caught up in the accomplishment of knocking off a to-do. This, this for me personally, probably needs to be more about some goals that I'm trying to accomplish, Um, whether that's something in aviation, whether that's something in tech sales lab, whether that's something in my golf game, right? I think I think we we all need to have some goals that we're working towards and and probably applying a certain amount of time that we're willing to put towards that effort. Um, As I continue to coach my son in golf, and he has a goal of becoming a professional golfer, which is one in a bazillion, no question. 
he's not doing always the work that he needs to do to become a professional golfer, and that's what we reflect on. And I try to explain the weight the weight analogy that is easy to use. Right, I can hope that I get down to one seventy five, but if I don't stop eating and drinking and doing those things, then I'm never going to get to one seventy five. So when you when we talk about writing down the plans and priorities. I think it is those things and, and not only what you're willing to do, but what are you willing to sacrifice to accomplish those goals? People talk all the time about they want to be 150% a plan, 200% a plan. If they, and they work they, a four-hour day. They work a four-hour day and they reflect back on the week, how many hours that were spent prospecting. Like, At least be honest with yourself. At least be authentic. Like, At least say that's not really what I want. What I really want is a nice base salary and to kind of skate by as average. Like. That being self-aware is like is actually recognizing that and saying I am choosing to invest my time in working out more or sleeping more or whatever else. Like that is far more, uh, you know, self-aware than than saying I want something and then not doing any of the hard work it takes to get there. That's a good point. I work with a friend that I, I've worked around her for many many years, uh, and she has she openly says i i want to make ot and i don't really care if i even get quite to ot but if i get close it'll make me whole and i'm not going to do all the extras and she is so self aware it is you almost feel sorry for her if you have any goals and aspirations but she's the she's one of the happiest people that i hang out with because she knows it she's aware of it and she just executes on just that indeed uh, the second one is meditation. I, I'm, I've tried this. I've gone on, gone on and off of it. Uh, I don't know what you think about it, but I, I think the intention here is to really focus in on what you're trying to achieve. Is what I'm doing working? Is what I'm doing slowing me down? Like, am I making some bad intentional decisions? And then can I start to make course corrections in those intentional decisions? And then kind of making some decisions around what to change. It's, it feels like a, a very heavy reflection of things to do while you're meditating. Um, but how do you feel about that? Yeah, I've been back and forth on the meditation thing. Uh, it's one of those, it's, it's one of those crazy things that when I, when I do it, I, I'm, I am a, some more self-aware and I, I recognize one of the, what's, what's not working for me. And then it just kind of goes away. It's almost like when I exercise really hard, I'm really happy and it doesn't bother me to do it. But when you fall off of it just a little bit, it's hard to get back on that train again. Um, we've talked a little bit offline about, uh, headspace and that I bought it based on a, a, a push from my daughter to get it. And my wife and I use it literally every night now. Um, we both, we were joking last night about which 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 sleepcast we were going to listen to, um, and I chose to listen to the same one. But at the at the end of the day, Headspace is a form of meditation. There's lots of commercials for Calm. There's lots of apps out there that can help. I just struggle with the routine of holding myself accountable. But I do think there's other things that I do that put me in that meditative state, that put me in that calm. Uh, I do I do find times to reflect. Uh, not as much as I should, but I do find times to reflect. And then those moments where I, where I say I'm stopping the madness and getting caught up on things, those are the moments where I sit and think. Uh, and that, that moment or that opportunity to slow down and think gives me the, the ability to somewhat meditate. I know it's not the same thing, and people would argue. And as you said all that, we're going to have a guest back soon and uh, she's on a break because she had a baby, but uh, we'll have her back soon, and we'll do a multi-part series and see if she can't maybe 
run a short lesson for us tech sellers on how to meditate and how to be more effective in our jobs. That could be interesting. Cool, cool. Um, all right, the third one is to uh, ask trusted friends. This is a hard one because your your friends, uh, they're going to couch the feedback. They're going to be very careful with it, so they may not give you a necessarily very honest view here because they want to protect you. And, and sometimes I think we kind of align ourselves with people that have the same level of self-awareness with us too, right? Like we want to be around people that, like you said in the first episode of the series, that we like to be a pe- around people um, – uh, that, that we're, that we're like. And, uh, so this is going to be a difficult one. If you can get some sort of feedback out of them, you, you, I mean, do it by asking them direct, like, look, you got to be straight with me on this. I need your help. I'm trying to improve on this. Be straight with me. What? And then you have to be ready to not be offended because it's going to be hard feedback. And then you ha- also have to be capable of unwrapping the feedback as well. We, we've joked before in, in other episodes that, uh, feedback is a gift, and sometimes that gift comes run uh, wrapped in duct tape, and you have to unwrap that duct tape to figure out what what kernel of feedback is actually being given to you. Uh, so you have to be prepared here because I don't you won't necessarily get it straight uh, the first time. Yeah, I've used the technique. Uh, it's been a long time, but I've used the technique for this one where I have actually created an email account and given people the username and password. And ask them to send me an email, right? I have no idea which of those, which of that small group of friends logged into that email and wrote something to give me that feedback. But it gives this layer of separation. You can ask three or four people that you trust, and then ask three or four people to to write up something. They're sending it from Bobby's feedback at hotmail.com. That you have no idea who actually sent those emails, um, and so that's that's an opportunity to maybe. Find a way or a layer to, to separate yourself from that person so that they can give it. A true fi- a friend will give it, but but I've been in this situation recently where someone had a product idea and they were so excited about it and they shared it with me and it was just it was so lackluster and I could not tell them that it was not it wasn't going to be on Shark Tank, you know. And they they I hope they don't invest a lot of their life savings into that product, but that that's the reality, right? Is you have even your best of best friends probably won't give it to you straight if it's really, really bad. Um, so find find some way that they can give you that feedback, whether it's an outsource 360 review or it's, it's some sort of an email that is separating uh, their friendship from your friendship and gives them the ability to be, speak freely. Yeah, and that, that really is the fourth one is, you know, whether it's at work or, you know, not necessarily, you know, it could be acquaintances or um or partners that you're you're working with in some other capacity other than the trusted friends, but a 360 review at work is a great way to do it too. At Workday, we do a um, every week we get sent uh, three questions, and those three questions are about your either your experience with your peers or your manager or dealing with COVID or whatever, right? Like it's, it it varies every week, but they're accumulating these scores to get a picture and a view of the direct manager and the extended leadership team, and then really kind of HR and how's the culture in the company too. So there's some unique ways that companies are using surveying tools to get a feel for, um, you know, how leaders are performing. Uh, they're not, it's not necessarily built for individual contributors, but for a first line manager, second line manager, you can, you can start to really assess where gaps are. And I always encourage my team like put the bad stuff in there. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I'd rather know the bad stuff and be able to fix the bad stuff or attempt to fix the bad stuff rather than 
you not fill it out, me not getting any sort of survey results, and me not even knowing anything's wrong in it too. So get like give me the really harsh stuff. Yeah, I would say most leaders really want to know it too, right? Even if it is mm-hmm. really really bad, because it's like a, a small business owner and myself would 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 drown or die if I wasn't getting feedback from my customers. When when I do get negative feedback, customers are on their heels and nervous to tell me. I applaud them for that feedback because I can't fix problems I'm not aware of. So it, it is true. Those company surveys, while everybody wants higher scores, they, they really do want the truth. And then this is a great opportunity to, to maximize your mentor network. We, we've had many shows and episodes on mentors and mentees and how to work those relationships. And if you're struggling on what to talk about in your next mentor conversation, this is it. Like, ask for some candid feedback. They, they may be a friend, um, but I suspect if they've agreed to be your mentor, they, they're more than a friend, and they're going to give you this feedback. Yeah, and look, I, there, there's games with these 360 feedbacks, too, to where managers will say, look, I, I, want, I want all 10s on it. You know, I, I can tell you that when HR and whenever promotions are looked at, the managers that are getting all tens aren't necessarily like at the top of the list because of that. Even if they've had top performance or near top performance, it, it shows a bit of a iron fist potentially in the organization, or it shows that you're kind of working the system a little bit. Like if there's nothing for you to improve on, literally nothing for you to improve on, what games what games are being played? Are you really are you really challenging the team? Like because there should be a little bit of negative feedback in there, a little bit of things to work on. If some not, coaching for sure. Some coaching. If not, what games are being played here? Honestly. Uh, so the next section we'll talk about, Bobby, and we'll wrap it up is improving uh, social awareness. Um, this uh, this is the fun. This is a really fun one for me. Is is paying attention to what bothers me about other people, what bothers you about other people, and it can oftentimes be a uh, what they say is it can be a reflection sometimes of. Uh, a quality that we don't like in ourselves, the quality that we may carry as well. Um, we maybe we have an aspect of our life that we're like not proud of. Maybe we avoid conflict. Like maybe, maybe we avoid feedback, um, and maybe it's because we don't like to receive that feedback. Maybe we struggle with it. Oftentimes, you'll hear people say, um, "You know, I love feedback. I, I want feedback." And then you give it to them, and they're like, they're silent, right? Like they shut down don't talk to you for a day or so and they're digesting it and chewing through it and they're upset about it. Uh, it is funny about pe- people that talk about how they appreciate or enjoy something uh, that's challenging. Actually, it's more of a defense mechanism than anything else. Yeah. the uh, Obviously, I, I'm pretty good at seeing all these things that, that annoy me or that, that bothers me about other people. And I definitely have taken pause to, to recognize the ones that are in me that, that I don't appreciate but that others do um procrastination is one of those things like I, I really do feel like i get a lot done but when other people procrastinate i'm like god why are you procrastinating and i have a short list on my desk right now of a lot of things that have kind of lingered all week that i need to get done and for me i justify my procrastination by talking about that there's this big rock that is important that i'm doing and i am doing it slowly but surely but i get all the other rocks done so I kind of pat myself on the back for getting all the little non-important things done. And then I, I, I slam dunk this big one at the end of the week, probably, um, which relieves me for the weekend. But, but I'm sure others look at me and say, why is he procrastinating? So that does feed into my frustration with others and aren't getting the things done they need to get done. So it is a real thing. 
uh, and it's easy to see what annoys you for sure. The second one is uh, identifying your emotional uh, kryptonite, um, which those that know me know I'm an introvert. I don't like small talk with big groups. I just, it, it, it deflates me. And so I have to, in order for, you know, to, for me to have a higher emotional intelligence, I need to be thoughtful in those types of situations and either, you know, you, you can't entirely avoid those situations, but you, you do have to play the part a bit and the, the bad version of me completely avoids them or finds a friend or someone and hangs out with and like kind of avoids the crowd, which is again, a low EQ approach to these types of things. Um, you know, people that um, wear their emotions on their shoulders or just want to, to chat about kind of nothing. And to them, it's not nothing I know, but you know, it's just a lot of small talk. Like to me, again, that does not give me any energy, whether it's in a one-on-one situation or in a large, large group situation. And that, that is emotional kryptonite for me. Like I, I shut down. I try to end the conversation because I'm, I'm ready to move on from it. Well, if there's any listeners out there that want to talk, you can call me or send me a note. Obviously, Brian doesn't want to talk to you. No, just kidding. Um, no, I've known that about you, and I get that. I think that's uh, interesting because you you talk to so many people. Um, my emotional kryptonite, and it's it's not to fend anybody off because I want you to ask me questions if you have questions, but it is when people ask me there are stupid questions, Brian. People can say it all the time. There are no stupid questions, but there are stupid questions and they drive me insane. And it's not the question that drives me insane. It's the lack of effort to find the answer to that question. Whoever invented the website, let me Google that for you.com built that site for Bobby Doss. Because you know, if you ask me how far away is the closest H E B, my first thought is only if we had a device that we could ask, (laughs) the answer to that question, right? Like we all have cell phones, right? Um, jokingly last night, my, my wife was asking when we were both free and I was like, man, if we just had this piece of paper with days on it that kind of outlined our, our agendas and schedules and we could look at that and fig- figure it out, right? That's the, that's my emotional kryptonite. Recently, the story I'll tell is that the fly school, my partner, God bless him, he comes to my office and says, do you have that tool where we could take these things off the wall? And I have no idea what he's talking about. He's got two people in tow. They've probably worked on this for 20 minutes. And I say, I don't know what you're talking about. Show me the picture on the wall. We walk down the hallway. And he goes, this picture, we, we can't get it off without that tool. And I literally grab the picture and I lift up and move it. And it comes off the wall. And I'm like, don't know where the tool is, but the picture's off the wall. It's like, you don't even put the effort in to try, right? Like, it, it, it should have needed the tool. I get it. But it's those sorts of things that just drive me insane and it's not the question as much as it is the lack of effort to eat, to find the answer with before you have to ask the question, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, there's a form, there's a, there's a bit of a form of laziness that is identified and it's almost like kind of shifting the work to someone else. And yep. when I pick up on those types of things, I, I am very quick to shut down and, and not want to participate because I, I don't feel like I'm, I've got a good, um, partnership in that scenario, yep. right? Like with that friend, with that, co-worker or whatever else it's like look if you're if you're aiming for me to do part of your job too i'm out on that because i got too many jobs uh or as it is well that's a good good one for work because it is a socially aware thing right and it happens and we all kind of know who that person is that kind of dumps their work off on people um so as we're talking about this in this episode it really is and i've seen it and my wife had a really good example recently as well where someone will ask me a question i'll point them to the right person and then 
you know, five emails later, it kind of comes back to me again. I'm like, how did, how did this happen? Like you're some, there's a lot of people in this chain that are avoiding to do the work. Um, if you're, if you're seeing that happen, uh, make sure you're not the one middle part of that chain. Yeah. Number three is draw a timeline of your life. Um, this is interesting. I've never done this, but I, I read this and I thought we'd, we'd bring it up and it's an exercise that I do want to go through whenever I have a free, uh, 30 minutes. I intend to do this, but, uh, drawing a timeline of like, whether it's, um, where you've lived, what company you were working for, what job you were doing, what accomplishments you had, what events you did. Um, it just kind of adds a bit of context and perspective to the last X number of years, however far you want to go back. It, everything feels like, um, it's so on top of us and it's all happening right now. And the next decision is so critical to the next 20 years when you could look back five years and be, and I guess the purpose of this, like how does this align to, to social awareness? The point of it is, is just to get broader perspective of what your life is. And it actually bleeds into number four as well, which is doing micro travel um, or macro travel. We, we spent a couple of years in England and I, I, I can tell you like these, these types of trips change your perspective. They change your life, whether it's a trip or a, an assignment or a move that you make. Um, people that have lived in you know, Chicago or New York or California for periods of time for work have a different perspective, not better, just different perspective on, um, on the realities, the routine, you know, what routines that we hold. Um, you know, a funny example of it for me back in the day was like, it was, it was, it would be very strange for us to spend more than, you know, an hour at dinner or something if it was just, you know, you and your wife, right? Like, you know, maybe if you're having a few drinks, you'd stick around the restaurant a little later. But when we spent time in England and, and certainly in Italy and France, we'd have three hour dinners to where you're just, you're just chilling, eating, eating food, you know, pecking at some food, uh, slow, slow service. And it just, it, the, when I first made the move, it was annoying. Like I was like, where is, we don't even have drinks yet. We're 20 minutes in we don't even have drinks in. And it kind of, it forces you, I think these two items, timeline and doing some travel forces you to reevaluate what should be normal and what is normal for you. Yeah, it is. And I was looking on the web. I know there's an article and I can't find it quickly, but I will put it in the show notes for sure. I've read an article on just how short life is uh, to bullet point number three of the social awareness Mm -hmm. piece. Um, And I, I will find it and I'll share it, but it's not just drawing a timeline. It's like physically the artwork of drawing the timeline. And what he's done is in this article, he's kind of created stick figures or they're, they're really hollow bodies and it talks about childhood, how short childhood is, and then how short retirement is, and how long this working life is that we have, uh, assuming the normal lifespan of a human being. And it's, if you're gonna have, if you're gonna put all this, these years and this effort into this work life, you know, don't you want it to be enjoyable and fun and not as stressful as maybe we make it at times, but. It's a really good article, and it's great. it grounded me probably three or four years ago on the fact that I was going to do what I wanted to do. Like I was tired of chasing someone else's goals and, and dreams, and I put a stake in the ground for what Bobby wanted to do and what was going to be best for Bobby's one life. And I think that's the moral of that story is you get one of these. We don't get – this isn't practice for the next one, right? So um, it, it changed my life. So I'll try and put that article – uh, in the show notes for sure, because it's a, a worth read. 
And then I, I have taught them by my Journal of Awesome a couple times uh, that I did uh, two years ago now. And I think it was for me, you know, I kept chasing this this more fun, this more travel, these more experiences, these more things. And I just wrote down everything that I thought was not just even good, like totally awesome. And that note in my iPhone became uh, became a short novel from seeing the Eagles to Garth Brooks to playing Pebble Beach to traveling to London, spending time in Paris. I mean, in one year of my life, I did more unbelievably awesome stuff than the average human probably gets to do in a lifetime. And I think I lost sight of just how great my life is, to be honest, and I needed to reflect on that. So whether it be micro travel or uh, anything fun and and cool that slows you down, um, make sure you're focusing and doing some of that fun stuff for all the hard work you're putting in to get there. Indeed, and that will those experiences and recognizing those behaviors, it, it does all tie back to being more socially aware of uh, kind of who you are as a person and what you want to accomplish. So uh, with that, Bobby, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Don't be average. Average sucks. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening to the tech sales show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at tech sales show until next week. Average is the enemy.